All right, this is season two, episode 23 of the Master Keys podcast. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And in this week, we're going to talk about a few things. Neil, what do we have on tap? Yeah, on news, we got a bunch of different things. So, stolen NFTs. Yeah. Halifax getting too damn expensive. It is. Someone spent a hell of a lot of money in the metaverse. Yep. Don't, well, we, don't, we don't even know if it's money, but there is India's doing some new stuff with their living. BlackRock's coming to Canada. We got a bunch of stuff that we're going over. Yeah, super excited. And then we're going to get into uh, four ways that you can kind of protect yourself if you're a buyer looking to purchase in this kind of uncertain market. There are four things that you can look at to make sure that you make a good buy. So if you're interested in that, listen to the episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. Yeah, let's do it. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we had a little event last night, so I'm feeling a little sore today. I'm not okay, going to Okay, so you went out after it. Yeah. Okay. No, not after, but even just from that that time, I think really? I had, um, they weren't many? singles, maybe a couple too many doubles. Um, yeah. But uh, otherwise, no, pretty good. Pretty good. Continuing yeah. to be my fear-mongering self <clears> and just constantly reading headlines. And actually, I think now, like just reading through the data, that they're finally starting to have some data that shows... Uh, where the market's going a little bit mm-hmm. um, and everyone's got the releases. There was actually, I think this morning uh, down the waterfront and I didn't go, but I got a text message and they said they're predicting Q4 to be down 14% across Canada. Um, home sale prices, home sale prices. Now that's going to be heavily pulled down by places like BC, Ontario. Man, so they he, make up a big portion of it. But. This is so interesting. And it, it almost maybe speaks to the fact that people don't actually know what they're talking about because Scotiabank released their forecast for the year. <laughs> it's going to be up. They literally said, worst case scenario, they expect prices this year to be up 10% compared worst to last case. year. Worst case. And then, like, optimal strong market, they could be up as much as 20%. Realizing, though, we are up about 13% here year to date in wait, a lot of areas, right? Wait so, for a pause a second. Are you talking about Halifax or Nova Scotia? Or are you uh, talking about Canada across Canada. the board? But how's that possible? Like, I'm, I have a couple. I, I know that man, we're already all, down. We're already da- like a bunch of places are down. Toronto's down. They're Surrey's down. Surrey's down. Langley's down. They're down month over month, right? But they were actually a lot of them were up year to date. Yeah. So I have ones from February to May, and I think it's because if they go from the start of the year, it's probably a bit of a flat line. But yeah. From, yeah. From, from February to May, everyone's going down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we're probably returned back to where we were January 1st at this point. I say, yeah, we're probably at zero-ish on yeah. average. Um, but then this is like we're just getting started on the downhill side. Um, but to, to give you quick numbers that I just saw this morning, because last time I talked about BC Market and I was struggling to find some data, but there was some posted yesterday by House Sigma, which is one of these AI platforms that digs through and, and gives you some numbers. And so Surrey, BC had an average of 1.9 million, which already was just insane. Man. <laughs> That's expensive. An entire city has an average market price of $1.9 oh, yeah. million. Dollars. Anyways, they're down now from February at 1.9 to now in May at 1.59. So that's about 16% down. Jeepers. Yeah. And then Langley, another city there, uh, had an average of $1.75 million, a little more affordable, mm-hmm. um, is down to $1.5 million. So it's also down 14.3% February to May. Right. February so, to May. And again, they're I, not including January because, like I said, yeah. I think we're basically seeing that in January. I think they had such a huge growth um, that they're they're discounting it to actually give some some stats. Because, again, I think if they said January, it would be probably one point. Like, they're probably still up mar- marginally or flatlined, like we just said. The other challenge is that our sample size is getting smaller and smaller. And so the data is going to get more current, but it's going to have a, a smaller sample size. And it begs the question, are some people... Um, 
you know, are, are those numbers being skewed down because the only people that might be selling in Surrey right now are people who quote unquote have to sell, right? Some of the people who maybe uh, believe in their home's value and are not willing to take a loss, maybe they're just not selling their home, yeah. right? So, so there is going to be some downward pressure on the statistics based on the sample size being one smaller and two being a different group of people, not the population whole, but people who only need to sell. The other thing is back to my conspiracy of last time, like the bank's info that they release. <clears throat> like, is there not an agenda with what oh, they're yeah, releasing? Oh yeah, totally. And they're like, like, like they they did the numbers and like, whoa, 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 you can't put that out there because our stock price is going to drop by thirty five percent. Yeah, and that's going to cost us fifty bill. So how yeah. about we like just skew exactly what we include into this, and we'll put a little asterisk that explains what is exactly included in our data. Yeah, but let's make it sound like this so that consumers don't have a full out. Full yeah. on blowout. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I see that. I'm like, man, maybe I should get myself a Scotia product. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're bullish on the market. Let's go. Let's go. No, it's a good point. Um, just to speak to the number of home sales that are down um, month over month. So April from March, right, which again, this is a two-month leg. Home sales were down across the country by 12.6%. Um, this April compared to last April, home sales are down 26%. So... That's the volume, not pricing. This is the volume of sales is is down 25% year over year. Do you feel and that yourself? Like as an, as an agent, are you feeling that? No. Really? No. Well, and I, I'm feeling it, but I think that's also because I'm in this changing of the business for myself. Yeah. Um, but I was just, I'm like, I feel like there's a lot of people messaging me and there's a lot of hesitancy. Like I have a lot of clients well, in Ontario know. that are like, we were all in on a house. And then, like, within two days, they're like, you know, like, just, I was out last night talking to my friends and what's going on here. I just don't feel comfortable to buy a house. You know what? You, you, you asked me the question, and I was sort of like, everyone has recency bias, right? So, I'm like, no, I don't feel it. But then I'm like, okay, let me actually think back to think a year about ago. this for a second. Or, or not even think back to a year ago, but um, I had a busy week last week. But let me actually <laughs> think in this moment right now, how many buyers that I've noticed in the last couple of weeks be like, oh, wait, I haven't heard from them. You see? Right, like, and I know there's stuff out there that we Way would have seen listings. three three weeks ago. So why are we not seeing them now? And activity on my listings has dropped significantly. So um, it's kind of like when you're running at a 13 <laughs> out of 10 in terms of capacity. Yeah. W- when you drop down to eight out of 10, you don't quite notice it because you're sort of you're we're so still overloaded. Busy. You're still so yeah. busy. Yeah. Um, no, no, that that's interesting. That's I mean, the, tw- view- the viewings. That's the one that I find insane. Yeah. Like yeah. I've the last three or four listings. I just gotten used to it because it's like, oh, yeah, you put listing up. Uh, you guys are going to be fully booked for the next four days. We're yeah, going to have yeah. 60 showings. doesn't matter what you price this house at. You got to go get a hotel. And then we just had 10 offers. And, like, the last couple, it's been, like, we have four showings. And we have one that's thinking about offering, and we're holding on to them dearly, and they didn't offer. So, which raises the point. Mm. Um, buyers, this may actually be an opportunity. If you're out there listening as a buyer, this may be an opportunity. But are you catching a falling sword or a falling knife? Yeah, I mean, okay, we're going to get into that. But let's actually get into what's new <laughs> yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah, what's new you with had us? a big night. Yeah, big night. Not really. I just... Uh, Little house white wine for Neil. Yeah, I, I guess I can't drink sugary drinks. I've, I've reminded of that every time I do it. Um, but in all seriousness, outside of that, <clears throat> I, I haven't talked about much on the podcast, but I'm making kind of a transition in the business. Um, I'm doing a little bit less realtor work, and I'm trying to focus a little more on my development side of the business. And so making that transition now, it's, it's more difficult than I thought. I did it with once with engineering. I was an engineer and became a realtor. And you go from a biweekly paycheck to technically no paycheck if you don't sell. And so it was yep. going from a, a decent spot and then effectively back to zero. 
And now, again, making this transition, like with development, yeah, you have rental income, but again, we've talked about like those margins are super slim once you pay all your bills and there's a bunch of things totally. that those go towards. Yeah. Um, so you kind of end up, you almost end up living off of some of your refinance in a sense. You're oh, really, 100%. You're, you, you really do. 100%. And you're really living off of your debt. No matter yeah. how you look at it, when you carry debt, effectively you're living off of that. Even if you're just, you have one piece of debt and that's your car payment, technically that debt is part of what you live off of at the end of the day. So yeah. in this case, that's, that's what a mortgage is. That's what a mortgage is. You're living is. in that house off yeah. of the debt you're servicing for. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's, I guess, a transition for me is like I'm getting through some refinances and stuff and just learning to like, it's just a different mindset, right? Like when you, when it's coming in through sales and you have this great cash flow, you live a certain way and you feel comfortable to live a certain way. And it's it's now changing where I'm like, oh, like I, I'm not necessarily feeling as flush, even though technically I'm not really in a bad, sh- I'm not in bad shape, but it's just, it's different. So mm-hmm. uh, long story short, I'm, I'm going through that kind of change now. And I'm, it's funny, I feel like I, Part of me is like, did I pick a great time to do this because everything's changing? Or did I pick a terrible time? Because like two years ago, it was just like so much stuff. You just buy it. You're going to make money. Buy it, make money, buy it, make money. And now I'm just like, hmm, if I buy that and cap rates go up, it's already tight. I said this to uh, to a colleague here today. And I just I was looking at something and I was thinking because we were talking about, well, what's this going to be worth in, in two years? And oh, well, you know, if it falls short, you're going to have to put money into it. And I'm like, no big deal. I'll just make money. And then I just <laughs> laughed. I'm like. You know, I, I see other people do this and I now see myself doing it just being like, oh, yeah, we've been enjoying this ride. Yeah. Right. And how it's changed my thinking of, you know, oh, that'll be fine. Yeah. Like, because I'll just sell 100 more homes and no big deal. Like <laughs> um, and how quickly we forget. And, you know, maybe this is a time where you change your mindset a little bit. The other thing is real estate sales are challenging because you might work with a client for three months, then they get a home and it closes in two months. So your payout can be four five, six months. Yeah. Right? When the you buy a project, a when you buy a project, yeah. you know, it might be, you know, a month of due diligence where you're not making any money, but you're mm-hmm. spending money. Mm-hmm. Then a month you close and you got to, you know, collect all the funds mm-hmm. and then put the down payment. Then you have to run it at a loss as you vacate units, which is three to six months. Yeah. Then you have to fix the units up, yeah. which is hundreds of thousands of dollars and probably another three to six months. Yeah. And then realistically, are you about a year or 18 months to, to turn a property over and get your new refi? Yeah, now you are. With, yeah. with just like material delays, trades delays, financing delays, it's 18 months. And with legality delays of tenancy issues. Yeah. Yeah. So 18 months to two years before you see any actual positive funds out of it. Um, yeah, so it's a very different, <laughs> it's a different, it's a different style. It's a different mindset. Um, but do you have anything exciting lined up or you just, I mean, you got a bunch of units. I got a bunch of units to deal going. with. Like I said, I have yeah. like, like literally seven or eight buildings right now that are all torn to bits and there's just like 40 or 50 empty units we need to get done. And so I'm really trying to get that done and work on a couple of my development sites that I already own. Right. Um, because I, again, like I said, I have, there's so much stuff that's come across the table, but the prices are so steep. And again, I really do think there's gonna be a change here and, Someone to what Killam said, they're like, well, a lot of smaller merchants will get beat squeezed. up, will get squeezed. And so I'm like, as terrible yeah. as it is, I'm hoping there's going to be some opportunities and things that get squeezed. And people who bought kind of in haste, like there was a lot of sites that sold on market this year. And big they went dollars. for numbers that big were like, dollars. yeah, big dollars. And like a lot of them are vacant land and like stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, people carrying like one, a million bucks probably. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah, they're only carrying 700,000, but on a high interest, no high interest, in. no yeah. money coming in. And then now they're going to go through it. They're going to get a permit. They're going to go to build. And they're like, wait a second. It cost me $40 million to build this, and it's only worth $30 million. 
Yeah. And so they're like, well, then I can't get, they, they just can't get funding to build it. Even yeah. if they, like, no one's got that kind of cash to build. And no one's building with cash. We all know the exact investment. same sites because we looked at all those sites. Yeah. And I have a better site on the same road as where a bunch of those sites yeah. sold. And I looked at all those. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Yeah. No parking. Yeah. Like. And they're paying, not- they're paying seven figure prices on like rents that are kind of. Like in the future, it's going to be amazing, but it, it was a lot to bite the bullet. That it, area is right 20 now. years away from not requiring parking. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Right. So, so anyway. Anyways, but so, yeah, for me, honestly, I'm, I'm in this like huge restructure mode. I'm just doing a lot of research. I haven't made any crazy moves recently. I think I'm going to do some short-term stuff. Uh, a couple of our units are turning over. We're turning them into short-term rentals. So oh, that's... Man. So there's a couple things that I really want to go into more on I didn't get a year, but... We got to, we got to really, I mean, we've talked about short-term rentals before, but I can't wait for us to both have some actual practical firsthand experience in it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, and Laird asked about this, shout out Laird, um, storage units. You and I both I love know. storage units, but I, I don't know a lot about them. Me neither. I don't know that you know a lot about them. Yeah. I'm obsessed with storage units. I would love to figure out how to build those suckers. <laughs> I think they're so amazing. You know, I, I have a colleague that actually just built, I don't know, 50 or 75 units. Uh, in New Brunswick, I should ask if he'd want to come on totally, um, and give us kind of the rundown on how what he went through to, to get to it and, and yeah, do yeah. it and what it looks like. Because apparently, it's been a great way to, to make money for a lot of people. I've ran numbers; it seems pretty good if you can if you can keep them full. Um, I think there's some weird like the management, like how I was like, can you make it fully automated? And everyone's trying to make them fully automated now, but there's also like an aspect of you kind of need someone to check in once in a while. Yeah, there's like one person on site. Yeah, yeah, and you can they can usually handle a few different sites. Like they can kind of zip around and, and check them out because everything's passcode and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think now like there's a lot of them being built in the states, and I feel like now is a time HRM probably could do for it. But premium storage is the crazy one that blows my mind. Oh, like man, the one down the north end that looks like a luxury uh, hotel. Yeah, there's like yeah. The, the new buildings, and this is in every city. Like I was yeah. in Ottawa, and they were building one there too, and it looked like a hotel building, but it's storage units, and I'm like, yeah, they got to be charging like. Friggin' four dollars yeah. a square foot in those things, which it's I'm like, unreal, man. Like crazy. a luxury hotel room for your crappy mattress that you had <laughs> in university. You paid three hundred dollars for it, and now you're paying hundred dollars a month to store it. Yeah, it's like, do you love your old stationary bike? <laughs> yeah. What um, do you got going on? Well, uh, what do I got going on? What do I got going on? Well, <clears throat> so I mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about rates in the last episode and how yep. the banks build in some speculative cushion when they put out these fixed rates. Yeah. Um. So. There's going to be another rate increase here in June, yep. which will impact, you know, variable and residential products a little bit. Um, but on the commercial side of things, um, some of their fixed rates are more closely tied to the bond rate, which has actually come down. So I was all doom and gloom last week talking about my project. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, rates are up. I'm getting killed, blah, blah. They came back down about 30 points. Yeah. Right. And it's unreal the difference that makes. We were running some numbers here today and it's like a 0.25 change in the rate was something like $500,000 extra yeah. that I had to come up with. Yeah. And then, so it goes back down. It's like, all right, don't need that 500,000. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, well it goes up a little bit. Less. Like that's how fickle these things are. Yeah. And we were looking at like the takeout when it's done. Um, and it was something ridiculous. Like when it's done and you go to refinance, like you have to sign this thing that says, all right, we're doing this deal at this percentage, yeah. but for every, you know, uh, 0.5%, 0.05%, the rate goes up, yeah. you have to put more money in. Yeah. And we were just like messing with the numbers, like raising it by 0.05. It's like, you'd have to come up with an extra 175,000. 
by 0.05% rate increase on a project. But anyway, um, some of those rates are actually coming in because they had already built in some speculative nature to it. And um, a lot of lenders on that size where where you're um, looking at rates down the road, they actually are expecting some of those rates to be lower. Yeah. So... That's promising um, that we've maybe not not seen the worst of, of the rate increases because prime is still going to affect variable rates and still going to affect the residential side of things. Yeah, hundred percent. But um, it, it a lot of it's already been built in, and, and hopefully these next increases won't actually move the fixed needle as much. Um, so anyway, try and protect uh, on the commercial side a little bit too. Uh, totally, because, because like they want to build these houses. They want to build these. They need yeah. the housing on that side, but also and for businesses too, right? Like the business lending, they they can't if they squeeze all the businesses and they crush all the housing construction. Like it's going to have a much more negative impact. Yeah. Um, and so they might be more focused on curbing consumer spending uh, than business spending. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in terms of what's new, I, I'm I'm you know still looking at Back that project, trying to figure timelines looking at the equity requirement, all these things. I also, like I alluded to, I'm revisiting that one site where I couldn't figure out if the individual units versus like the sum of the parts when it was all redeveloped, how yeah, that yeah. would work out. Um, I think I'm I'm going to move forward with that purchase just because we were able to work out a deal on uh, some vendor financing. So that's super exciting. Nice. Uh, I close on the 12 unit in, I don't know, just over a month. Uh, and then still working through the renovations on the other stuff. Um, yeah, so, so pumped on, on all of, all of that. Lots of things moving and shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Just still pushing that rock up the hill. (laughs) All right. Let's get into some news outside of us. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, uh, go through some news here and then we're going to get into, again, just a reminder, um, that we're going to talk about four ways that you can kind of protect yourself as a buyer. Make sure you're getting a good buy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just a little reminder here, partway through. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, share this thing. I've noticed some of you guys doing it. It helps a lot. Yeah, it's helped um, a lot recently. So some uh, stats can uh, figures came out and it pegged Nova Scotia at 7.5% inflation. That's one of um, the highest in the country, isn't it? Yeah, the country average is 6.8%. Yeah. Um, so we are slightly above the national average. And we all know that that inflationary measure doesn't necessarily cover everything. Um and that's interesting because IOPONS, which is the Income Property Owners Association of Nova <laughs> Scotia, I feel weird always saying that word, um, just formally kind of uh, did a press release yeah. um, lobbying the government saying that because of this high inflation, um, multi-unit property owners are asking for their 2% rent cap to be reconsidered yeah. because it's... You know, rent can be raised 2%, Logically makes no but inflation sense. is 7.1%. Yeah. Um, that was released on social media. Didn't get as much support as you think. Uh, uh, <laughs> got a lot of hate. But what are your thoughts on that, Neil? Both the inflation side and, and the rent control. We, we've talked about it a bunch. The inflation, it's kind of interesting to me that Nova Scotia faced a higher rate of inflation than the rest of the country on average. Um, and I'm not 100% sure I get why, but maybe it's also that we have a smaller draw here and pull for for bringing products in. And so we end up paying a bit of a premium, right? Like we're just not a large Mm. purchasing market. And I'd be curious to see what other smaller markets found if if they also experienced a higher inflationary Mm -hmm. pressure, which is kind of crazy. It's like the smaller markets get beat up, but that's with everything in in this world. Um, But then regarding uh, what Ipon said, like, of course I agree. And I'm in, I'm in the position of uh, being a landlord. So it's going to be biased in that sense. But I think like, 
almost every business, like I've never been one to rally, like putting freezes on prices and stuff like that. And yeah, again, people are probably going to say it's because you're in a luxury to be able to pay them. But it's just like, it doesn't logically make sense. And I understand protecting the consumer, but I feel like everyone forgets, like when you, when you do this stuff, there's, there's a negative for somebody and realistically all of it's going to boil back because all of these products are servicing the consumer. So when they, when they, when they slapped in this rent control, Again, it was a bit aggressive, um, and it, ultimately, it's just gonna it's gonna change like how the market works. So yeah, I think we should be able it should be more tied to inflation to help allow the rental market to stay as a rental market. And I've been saying it for the last couple episodes, with this staying in place as two percent, it's just gonna turn people away from it. Now, we had people saying it last night, like mm-hmm. it's gonna be condo development. It's gonna be people are gonna do more fixed terms, or they're gonna expect higher rents when they do renew and stuff like that, or when it's a new turnover. And it's going to force less markets like to turn over in general. So realistically, I think it'll have a negative impact and all the research shows uh, that it's negative. So yeah, but if you made it more reasonable, you tied it to inflation, there's an opportunity for people to potentially maintain their buildings and yeah. still keep people in their units and kind of have a turnover. Well, that's the key is, is keep people in their units because the challenge with the 2% um, rent cap, I mean, there's tons of challenges with it, but... Nobody I, wants a tenant <coughs> in their unit now. They want to kick them out. Exactly. They want to kick them exactly. out. Exactly. You're heavily incentivizing tenant turnover, which um, landlords would rather keep the tenants in there. Tenants also, would rather stay in there, and right? It, it just... So what is what is that tipping point where it, it makes a sense? There, there has to be concessions um, because another thing that came out is that RBC, in conjunction with Youthful Cities, which is kind of a, um, uh, a think tank, they released a report that listed like all the major cities in Canada and found that Halifax was the least affordable city for young people ages 15 to 29. Really? Yeah. And that's not awesome. Right. I guess that was based off like income versus expenses. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So again, that's RBC and a think tank called youthful cities released a report where they ranked a number of major cities across Canada. And they found that Halifax was the least affordable city for young people aged 15 to 29. So that's also the that's renting crazy. demographic. Yeah, it's it's a it makes sense though because I guess it's the average starting income and wages are are lower, and so even though we don't have the highest expenses, we just don't have the income to to match. And also, we're we're over the national average for inflation, yeah. uh, and that concerns me because we talked about this on a previous episode. As provinces, we compete for human capital, especially yep. young people. Yep. And for a long time, we were losing our young people to other provinces. And it's only more recently that they've started to come back to Nova Scotia on a net positive migration level. Yep. If we are now the most expensive city for young people, they're leaving again. They're going to leave again. So, yes, I believe that the rent control is stifling and is going to be problematic. But we have to be careful if we tweak that dial because young people are being squeezed out of this city. Um, and we need to figure that out. It kind of was curious to me, though, that they start with 15-year-olds. Like, what are their major expenses yeah. as a 15-year-old? Um, but, um, yeah, so any thoughts on that, Neil? Yeah, so I'm just kind of... You're mindful. in this age group. I am in... I, Neil actually had his birthday. Uh, Neil turned 27. 27 there last weekend. Which makes me think of you as a lot less young yeah. than 26. I know, it's, I'm no longer the young guy. older than 20, 26. Yeah. But you're in this group, Neil. So. I am in this group, and I'm, hey. I see it with a lot of my friends you and colleagues. Okay? I'm... I'm <laughs> You doing okay, buddy? I'm doing okay, but you know what? I, I maybe I'd be doing better if I was somewhere else. May, oh, wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, you pay a pretty damn high rent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I get this though. Like I see a lot of my colleagues like going to work and all that, and like they seem to be struggling to put aside cash. And then I see my friends who went away, and they're able to stack cash a little easier. And yeah. even though technically, like you're paying more for this, you're paying more for that, but 
they're making more money. They might be paying less taxes. Um, and potentially any assets they get in those cities will hold more value. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's sad to, to see it go like that. And again, I, it goes back to like a lot of these policies that we put in and a lot of these taxes we put in are the reason that this is the case. Like if you reduce some of the taxes on some businesses to come here, they're going to come here and it's going to get a more competitive market and they're going to pay more money. Uh, if you reduce some of the policies against like housing and stuff like that, it's going to create more jobs, it's going to create more housing, it's going to reduce rents. Like all of this constant uh, taxation and like policy that they love to slap in really, really quickly here is what's actually causing things to be more expensive and I guess less beneficial for the youth to come here or to stay here. Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah. And I feel like I, this is kind of bad, but I feel like a lot of the people in like the policymaking positions are of older generation and especially for Atlantic Canada, they're in the Atlantic Canadian mindset. And so they're very quick, like they're afraid to like lose that Atlantic Canadian feel. And so they quickly slap in a lot of these policies that oppose growth and moving forward and, and change. And I think this is what ends up causing what we're seeing here now. It's boiling out as numbers. Mm-hmm. But again, what's going to happen from these kind of press releases is they're going to be like, well, the grubby landlords need to make all their damn money and all these. Yeah, that's the thing they're going to point to. Um, and I'd be curious. Uh, I'm going to go through that report and see what were the major expense categories for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think probably we're, uh, we, we pay more probably for transit here in Halifax relative yeah. to, to other cities. Um, you know, I'd be curious if, if the rent component and how that ranks and how what, is it more affected by the expense side of things or the income side of things. We also have a... I'm surprised we're over BC, like Vancouver and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm i sure it's it's oh, a, adjusted cost of living to, to some degree and things like that. But, you know, it's it's not great. It's no, not a it's good not. sign. Um, and, you know, we've just been, we trend, been trending in this right direction for the last little bit, and it was just fun to hear that. So. I, I think these bigger cities have, like, even though on average things are more expensive, because they're a bigger city, they have options for cheaper buying. Like, if you like when you go visit, you end up getting in all the tourist traps, and you go to all the places that are super expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think if you live yeah. in those places, it's like, even for your groceries, there's always, like, private wholesale stores that you can go that are actually yeah. cheaper. Um, I was just thinking, too, like, even, like, car mm-hmm. dealerships here, like, there's only really two families that own all of the car dealerships here, so it's very like it's anti-competitive. Like there's no, you know what I mean? Like they, they, no one can come and undercut them. You mean like maybe we're at that tipping point where we're not so big that you have a lot of consumer choice, but we're not so small that we're cheap. Yeah. Like right in between. Yeah. That's interesting exactly. I, I think that's a hundred percent it. Like it's not, and even the so small places now are no longer cheap because they just don't have like, it's like the purchasing power. There's no competition. There's mm-hmm. no options. Like, and so it's, it's like everything. It's like when companies get bigger, they grow stronger. Same with cities and provinces. As they grow bigger, they grow stronger, and they can offer more benefits to their people. Yeah. Um, here's a funny one, just a slight digression, but it made me think of it. Uh, there's this lady who's an accountant, and she just retired, and her and her husband, they did the math, and they realized it was cheaper for them to just live on cruise ships year-round. So they live on cruise before. ships year-round. Yeah. They did the math, like, all right, all my food and entertainment's <laughs> included, my lodging's included. So year-round... They just go on cruises. They must have no friends. I mean, <laughs> like it's... Uh, you just make it new friends every three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however long cruises. I feel like that would start to suck so bad. I can't imagine it's great, but they're into it. Um, and it's an interesting alternative. So, hey, don't Maybe. like don't like your cost of living. Nice thing in Halifax is... Well, it's on a port of call, though. You can't actually get on a ship here, can you? 
Oh, no, you can't. Yeah, like the cruise uh, ships come here, but yeah, you can't leave here. We have lots of cruise ships, but yeah, yeah. you can't actually get on ones that don't even think about it. Man, I knew someone who like flew down to Florida, got on a cruise ship, and there was some sort of weather issue, and so they had to get diverted. I think they were going to go to, like, I don't know, Iceland or something, mm. and it got canceled, and where did they go? Halifax. <laughs> like, I flew down to Florida, got on a cruise ship, and ended up back in Halifax. <laughs> anyway, what else uh, is in the news for you? Uh, so this one I thought was really interesting. And I like there's going to be a lot of asterisks and like, Mm. whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't like, don't get mad at me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you as I saw it. But there's a lot of question marks. All right. I love it. Let's hear it. There was a metaverse transaction for five billion. Woo. Now I'm saying five billion. It didn't say in any article I could find dollars, U.S. dollars. Eh, It's got to be USD, I'd say. You think? Yeah. What else are you going to measure it in? Well, how, it's, I just thought it was really weird. Czech that, Republic? Well, I don't know. We got cryptocurrency, so it could yeah, be like yeah. 5 billion Luna coins, which are, I don't know what they're worth, oh, 3 God. cents a piece, and so it works out to actually being $15,000. Like, they nobody put a, a currency <laughs> on the 5 billion. Not one person. And uh, so anyways, it's TCG World, which is a new world coming to the metaverse. It hasn't come out yet. It's opening in September 20... It's supposed to open up in September this year, but they even already have an asterisk on there. It's like could be later due to whatever issues. And I'm like, okay. Currently under construction. And so it was purchased by Curzio Research. It's an American financial news company. Um, the guy, there's so many weird things. So Curzio Research bought 19 properties from TCG World for 5 billion bananas. And oh my gosh, this is the funny part. It's close to the, st- the city Wall Street Bets. It's just okay. outside the city called Wall Street Bets. And again, none of this is open. And it, Curzio's saying it's going to be a place where you can go and meet with other people that are in the Curzio, uh, I guess, World. VIP members yeah. or whatever. Okay. Um, they're going to have conferences. They're going to have shows. Man, I don't understand how you can say this is worth $5 billion whatevers when there's no finite limit to this metaverse space. This well, is what I don't understand. This is the thing. And well, it's going to be, we're going to talk about that when we get into buying. Like it's kind of like real estate though in real world, because even though there is a certain amount of real estate, like 90% of the world's real estate doesn't get touched. Not 90%, yeah. probably 50%. But That's like, true. you know what I mean? So it's and increasingly like, it's smaller and smaller because people leave the more rural areas. Exactly. Inc- so yeah. it's, it's going to continue to shrink to specific areas being more valuable. And so that's kind of what I think the, the hedge is here. The thing that's a little weird though, is like, Curzio Research, the company that made this five billion banana acquisition, like I, they're publicly traded, but I couldn't find a market cap on them. And really, by digging into them, they're just a newsletter company. Now, don't discredit newsletter companies because I was watching a thing the other day, and there's a, there's a couple newsletter companies in the states that do over five hundred million dollars just sending out newsletters. And Curzio has a newsletter that's up to five grand a month, so they could be making big money. Hmm. But like, it still makes no sense that even if you had like you'd have to be the biggest newsletter company in the world, I think, to get like a $5 billion loan mm-hmm. to do it. And so, I don't know, it's, it, it's really just news releases from their founder, Frank Curzio. So I'd be super curious to see what it is. But anyways, this could technically be the biggest sale. And also to put this in retrospect, like we talked about, I think an episode or two ago, 2021 had $551 million of sales in the metaverse. So this would be 10x in one transaction. Yeah, yeah. In, in one go and, in the metaverse. And, and, and I don't know. contrary to the trends, right? Because a lot of that stuff is down and, and a lot of people are getting a little more conservative on it. So that's interesting. Kind of related. Uh, did you see Seth Green? Um, no. Okay, so Seth Green, Dr. Evil's son, you know, the little redheaded dude. Um, <laughs> the mi- mini? No. No, no. <laughs> not mini me. <laughs> oh, okay. But his, his other son. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he bought uh, a board ape, right? And some other uh, NFTs. Oh, okay. Yes. 
Yeah, and he actually was planning this whole sitcom around this one board ape NFT, and then someone swindled him out of it. Like, he clicked on some link or something, <sighs> um, and someone stole all these NFTs and then resold them. What? So his, his challenge is, one, he's lost it, and, and the things were worth some money, uh, and two, he now can't really do his show about this. <laughs> that could be part of the show. Hopefully, has he shot some content up until now? Here's the other thing. I don't think he shoot content with an NFT. I think it's a cartoon, but... I, I don't know. Yeah. The actual cartoon was the NFT. The, the premise of the show was that this um, particular bored ape was going to be this character named Fred in the show, who I think is a bartender, but also a bored ape NFT. I no, don't know. Riddle me not. Could they not just still make the show? Well, here's the thing. They He now doesn't still- own... The rights to that image, though, right? This well, is, but he could just slightly modify it so it's wearing yeah, glasses. Yeah. I, I can't tell those apes apart anyway. But like, um, could yeah. you make one wearing glasses and then make a whole show about it, and then it gets stolen or something? Couldn't you do something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think. Well, this might give him more press. That actually, it's help way the more show. press. I have not seen Seth Green pop up in my Google alerts <laughs> in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I would say I almost actually wondered if this was uh, a, yeah, a, a fake. Yeah. But why, why does everything crypto NFT have to be so sketch always? Well, the question is going to be like, so the new person that owns it, right? Because he found the guy oh, on Twitter yeah. who owns it now. And he's reaching out like, hey, like you bought my he, like, publicly thing. stole it. Yeah. Like, so who owns it? Like a normal thing is you can't buy something that's stolen. Like, well, you can, but you don't get to keep it. But is this, this theft of like intellectual property or something? Like, is this, can you get charged? Well, they don't, the, the person who bought it can't like didn't know right like so they ended up they bought it off of the person who stole it so i don't know how this is all going to shake down oh, Jesus. so that's kind of a little a fun little nft news uh yeah. watch for that sitcom yeah. or not <laughs> i mean big seth green fans out there uh, <laughs> moving on out. back back to the real world um blackrock everyone's favorite because they were in the news there yeah they're the largest real estate investment firm yeah, this is one of those companies that we talked about that buys up uh, neighborhoods, you know, track housing, like and, and just goes and rents it out and then offers people kind of like, a, oh, it's a turnkey. Like, you don't even have to mow your lawns. Like, we do everything, yeah. blah, 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 blah. They're also part of a company. Uh, they're under a company that goes out and buys uh, music catalogs, like bought Neil Young's. I think I talked about that yeah. on an episode. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're, they're a massive, massive investment firm based out of New York, obviously. Uh, and like like Channing said, they, they do that with the neighborhoods, but they also do a ton of industrial, a ton of office. Like they're the largest in the world. So they own everything everywhere internationally. Um, they have about, I think it's around 400 bill under management. So I guess with leverage, they probably have over a trillion dollars worth of real estate. Um, anyways, I thought this was kind of interesting for our Canadian people. They are opening an office in Toronto. They've Ooh. never had an office here in Canada. So they're opening an office in Toronto. They've been buying in Canada since 2018. So they have around $14 billion in assets here. But they're setting up shop in TO with plans to buy lots. And they made some huge acquisitions uh, just at the end of last year. So, so I, I think they're getting ready for maybe a little a little pounce in the market, potentially. Oh, yeah. So ever heard that expression, better the devil you know? Yeah. Right? Like, if you don't like your small-scale landlord that maybe owns <laughs> 45, 60 units, right? Welcome, BlackRock. If you don't like them, okay. You know... When then maybe you don't like the next size up, like the the big fish in our small pond that maybe have like fifteen hundred units. The reeds, yeah, right? or the yeah, them, yeah. You know, as you squeeze out the mom and pop because of rent control and, and increased insurance and all these things, yep. um, and then you eventually like squeeze out some of the what we consider big players who, in the grand scheme of things, are not that big. Mm-hmm. 
because they can't even make ends meet. Mm -hmm. They sell out to these corporations. And if you thought you were a faceless number now, you just wait until these (laughs) companies and how they run their business model. Yeah. Um, Because they can run it on a razor thin margin because of the volume and because they'll have like one call center servicing 20,000 units. They also have the strength to lobby the government. Well, that too. They have yeah. the strength and control to lobby the government simply due to the fact they have so much money. And secondly, because they have so much power, because they house like half of a nation. They're like, like let's let's mess. How about this? We just won't lease any of our units. Like it's like, and then you're like, Oof. okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Like they have to backpedal. So it's like, that's the thing. We can't, we can't even lobby the government on what's happening now in our city with, with yeah. rent controls and things like that. Like you're saying, if one of these big players comes in and starts buying stuff up, doesn't yeah. take much for them to push push their weight around. And imagine like a 3,000 home development that mm-hmm. comes up, right? And you get a slight shift in the market. Um, you get a bunch of legislation and extra permitting costs that just grind this sucker to a halt. Mm-hmm. A company like this comes to that developer and says, we've got unlimited cash. Yeah. Uh, we'll take as much of them as you'll give us. And all of a sudden, they sell 1,500 of those that will be then rented in perpetuity instead of sold in the marketplace. Yeah. Like this is a thing that is newsworthy. I'm glad you mentioned this. And that is the devil that a lot of people out there don't know. Um, and I think it's a lot worse than the devil, you know, in this particular yeah. case. Big time. hundred percent agree with you. Um, this is with everything. This is with everything. You see this with, it's again with other businesses too, but no one's yeah. going to really pay attention until it's way too far down the road. And again, yeah. the, my biggest thing is, it's just crazy. As you get bigger, you get stronger. And like, like you were just saying, like they're my, they're gonna be able to lobby governments. Like they can, they can do what they want. Like it, it doesn't matter. So yeah, uh, it's easy to pick on the small guy, but the, the big guy mm. will come in and clean up everything. Speaking of big guys, and I'm not going to go into this, but uh, there was a headline: uh, Elon Musk and te- uh, Tesla were dropped from the S and P 500's ESG list. You know how I feel about ESG, and my man Elon also <sighs> hates ESG, and he criticized it. What did he call it? Um, he said that ESG is being weaponized by phony social justice warriors. So Tesla, you know, the leader in the electric car space and uh, doing a bunch of things, they've been removed off the ESG 500 list or by S&P 500 ESG list, um, which hurt their stock. I was going to say, it's going to hurt the stock. It's hurt bunch. the stock. This might be bigger than Elon. Um, and for example, for context, like ExxonMobil still on the list. I know. So who there made this decision and the scoring system? And what potential, um, not mandate, but what's their angle to remove Tesla from this list while keeping on ExxonMobil? It's, yeah, but they don't want somebody that's openly talking bad about the the concept. It's, but I don't think Elon's going to be able to win this one. This is something that's going to continue to take over. If Elon can't win against ESG, then people should be afraid of ESG. There are people out there deciding who gets to be on these lists. Uh, for relatively arbitrary this is a super weird like connection i'm making my brain but it's like it's it's like church because if you don't believe in what they're into it's like you're you are bad Mm -hmm. and so kind of for most people kind of through pressure not because they truly feel that way but by pressure and like the fear of not being accepted and the fear of being kind of put down or, or humiliated they just go with it and i feel like that's esg in a lot of ways like i feel like a lot of people that's don't belief systems in general. That is but, belief yeah. systems in general. And it's yeah. just like, but so that's what I'm saying. I think this might be bigger than Elon. I think the momentum has been gained and 
Un- it's unfortunate because it's going it's going to negatively impact him. And, and I'm like, not saying Tesla's perfect, and and I think the criteria that their move was uh, to do with like worker compensation and and uh, working conditions and blah blah blah. But the fact that a group of people can develop a rating system to then um, dictate the future of a company, at least in the short term, mm-hmm. is very scary. And when you realize that that rating is going to then trickle down to all the employees of the company, both through you know their own investment in the company, if they have share options and blah, 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 the viability of the company, whether or not they'll still have a job. But also, the company's going to say, well, we need to score on this system now. So you, as a frontline worker, you now believe in these things, right? Um, anyway, oh, we're not going to go down the no, ESG. I promised no, myself I wouldn't do no. it. Um, but, uh, man, I hate ESG. Yeah. <laughs> back, to, back to real estate directly. Um, and kind of back to affordability and we talk about it all the time because it's such a hot topic and how the housing crisis is going to get fixed. India is going through a massive, massive boom in general. They have been for a lot of years, kind of going through their industrial revolution and everything because before, like not that long ago, they were quite a mess. I mean, they still are, I think in a lot of ways politically, um, but they are having a rapid kind of growth in their cities and they're, they're starting to establish a lot of nice areas. Didn't they already have some pretty big cities? They you're talking massive, like you're talking about. I, I mean, sorry. I mean, construction growth, construction commercialization, growth, commercialization. Yeah, um, those kinds of things. The industrial revolution style, like in the, in the 21st century, and it's happening fast. And like energy and all those things. Uh, not actual population growth. They're also having massive population growth, but their cities are mm. out of this world large. Um, like they're like the size of our province. Like not as population yeah, yeah. numbers, oh but like God. physical Bigger. physical yeah, size. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, one thing that they're having there, and people are gonna laugh because we see it when they come here too. In some ways, is they're doing co living. So we we have co office spaces here now. Like that's something that's starting to become more common. Mm-hmm. Is it's a it's a big office space, and you can rent a little portion of it, or you can rent the ability to go to that space and use it. Um, and it's starting to catch on with COVID because a lot of people work from home and didn't necessarily want to commute. Yeah, yeah. And so they're close by. It gives them two days a week. They can go in. They have some kind of atmosphere around them. They're not around their direct team. Totally. But it gives them atmosphere. Anyways, they're now starting to see co-living spaces take on, on kind of take flight because they're facing the same thing. Construction costs are going up and there's a difficulty for people to afford living in their, their current apartments. And so they're they're trying it, and it's it's being successful in a lot of ways. But they're doing co living, and again, for a lot of young people, kind of in that transitionary period, they're like, you live in a co living space. They're clean, they're nice. Uh, they offer a lot of amenities mm-hmm. until you're in a position that you maybe have a family. Then, as a two person group, you can then go to your next thing and buy a home or get a bigger space or move a little bit further outside of the city. But uh, I think this is on ownership, or this is on a rental basis. It's on a rental yeah, basis. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting because like, so. Man, and I, I think realistically, you see in BC, I know a ton of my friends. That's effectively what they did. They would rent houses, an apartment, and they would they yeah. would put they put walls up between in rooms to add more. And that wasn't mm-hmm. like just foreign; those are local people yeah, yeah. doing that to live in in places like that. It's not form. The thing is, I I like that they've actually formalized it, and the government's kind of taking on board to it because here they do everything to shut things like that down. Because I understand that it can become very slummy very quickly, but if it's done properly, it might offer an opportunity for people to live a little more affordably. And I think it works for a lot of people. What would you think of a push towards rooming houses in Halifax? I think it's a good idea. I honestly do. Like, I, I see, I have, um, I've seen people who, like, some of the legal ones still. Mm-hmm. And I was chatting with them in there. And like, what's it like? And they're like, it's great. Like, I typically, honestly, didn't use a bunch of the other space in my apartment. And I came here. I didn't know anyone. So I'm renting this room. I've been here now for two years. And I've met a bunch of people. Right. And I feel like there's a general accepted thing. Like if you're living in a rooming house, you're kind of respectful of each other. And a lot of times there's amenities that you wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. Like this place had a hot tub, 
Uh, it had a bunch of outdoor space. Community lots little, of eh? mm, yeah. not sold. <laughs> well, on but, that, but it wasn't a massive, <laughs> massive rooming house. Right. Um, so there's not that many people sharing yeah. it. Uh, and they all shared the, the cleaning responsibilities. And then they had a company that came in and cleaned once a week. Yeah. And like, it actually wasn't too bad. And I, I went into the bathrooms and they all just kind of respected the space. And so mm. it never got disgusting. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think it's the worst thing. But again, they do need to be managed properly. Like you can't yeah. just, that's yeah. the problem. There's always a few bad apples that will build one, fill it up with people, and then never check in on it again. And it'll become a dive. Yeah. And like the building code here in Halifax, um, never, I, I think really struggled with rooming houses, mm-hmm. um, room counts per kitchen, room counts per bathroom, locks on doors, doors or locks, not on doors zoning. And so for all intents and purposes, they were outlawed, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't create a new rooming house. In fact, like if you had a home that was being rented a certain way, they would say that you're effectively trying to be a rooming house, which is not mm-hmm. allowed in that area and so on and so forth. And they were kind of stigmatized. Yeah. And I look at it now, it just seems it's a, they're, it, they're becoming more common in Europe as well. It just seems like such a logical way forward um, that could be done really effectively. Here's one thing I'm thinking in my head. Like maybe the way of doing it is not only do they put all the construction requirements, requirements, they put in actual operational requirements. And I know I yeah, was just saying about how all the yeah. rules make this more expensive, but rooming houses typically will have a, have a higher rate of return. And so some of the stuff they can do with that is put in an op- operational requirement. Like it must be cleaned by a third-party company X amount of time, mm-hmm. which I know is tough to, yeah. to do, but they do it with hotels because effectively a hotel is a giant rooming house. It does short-term yeah, yeah. rentals. And yeah. so they have all these rules that they have to maintain to be able to do it. And that's why hotels on average are pretty nice. I know. My thing that I keep coming back with all of that is, um, you know, in a perfect world, there would be a separate tenancy board specifically for rooming houses, mm-hmm. right? Where, um, you know, because that would be legislated through something similar to our tenancy board. Yeah. And a tenant could then file a complaint like, hey, you know, we are not getting our place cleaned every yeah. every week. Um, but do we have the the bandwidth to... Not, not really, but even, I don't know. I think, I think it could be an opportunity. Oh man. I I look at it as an opportunity as, um, an investor who's trying to think, okay, you know, I want to build models that, um, make sense. Well, there will be Mm -hmm. demand for, Mm -hmm. I, you know, like the idea of an economical solution whereby I have to build one kitchen for potentially four tenants, you know, that, that adds value to me. Um, but also feeling responsibility of, my gosh, like it is getting damn expensive for people to live here. Yeah. This could be a really, like it could be a win-win. Like someone could be able to live in a place like for $600 heat included. They just happen to need to live with it with three other people in a great location. The builder gets incentivized by only doing like one really nice kitchen as opposed to four. Like there, there's something there that could be, you know, mutually beneficial um, and very, very practical. So I don't know. We'd have to talk to a planner about, um, if there's any thought on that with the center plan and where things are going, if they've revisited that, I haven't heard anything about it. Cause the other, like the other thing is it's like dorm rooms for universities. Like you see, yeah. you can get them with like, you can put a little, maybe a bathroom in the, in the bedroom. And then it, again, that shrinks down the thing. It brings down the cost. And like a lot of people don't necessarily need to use a kitchen all the time. Like I think, yeah. especially the younger generation, I feel like a lot of people order meal plans. A lot of people eat out. A lot of people are on, like they have plans, like not in Halifax, but in bigger cities, a lot of workplaces offer, uh, meals at the office or like a discount to places in the building. Right. And a lot of people will just do that because for simplicity and time, yeah. you don't have time necessarily to come home and cook and clean and all those things. And so you can get away with having a shared kitchen space because you don't use it all the time. Man, that's what I did when I did my master's over in England. That's what we were. We were, uh, it was a townhouse. It was a mature student living mm-hmm. and there were, gosh, three or four of us. I think there were, yeah, I think and there were four they of have us. Crazy expensive real estate. Each, 
each uh, room had its own sink, right? Yep. So you had a sink to brush your teeth in your unit. Mm-hmm. There was a shared bathroom and a shared kitchen. And man, like I would go days without seeing the other people based on our schedule. Mm-hmm. I peed in my sink a lot, um, <laughs> you know, like because the bathroom was on a different floor. But like otherwise, <laughs> it was perfect. Um, <laughs> listen, everyone who it lived was- in a res room that had a sink. Y'all peed in that sink. Don't and pretend you didn't. So don't judge me just a, it's here. A recycling, on the recycling the water through the tower. <laughs> um, okay. You know, I think that's a good cue for us to get into how, four ways to protect yourself in this market. Unless there's something really important. To you well, I wanted to say on that note, talking about postgraduate, um, there was an 84 year old woman who actually just graduated uh, almost 70 years after she started um, her college career. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, moving forward. All right. Yes. Four so, ways to protect yourself in the market. There's still going to be, there's so many things to buy. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is just like right off the hop, forget about the four ways for a second. Like you kind of have to have the mindset of like, if you're buying, you, you can't, I don't think you should be buying right now if you're planning to buy for like six to eight months or a year. But if you're buying and you intend to be there for like, three years, five years. You should never buy anything if you're only thinking for six to eight months. That's a terrible idea. With all the sunk costs that go into purchasing. Well, I think a lot of people were buying in the last couple, in the last two years that are like, yep, in a year I can flip this bad boy over. And you saw a lot of them because you see the listing history and they're like, yeah, you bought that in 2020. You bought that in 2021. Yeah, man, but I look at that as like, all right, cool. We made $150,000 off. It's like, yeah, what you paid, you know, 15 grand to close it. You're going to pay 30 grand to sell it and you're going to get hammered on capital gains. Like you'll make, you know, 60 grand or 70, which is not bad, but man, Look at look at how fickle that could be. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So okay, but yeah, anyways, that that was my well, that's my like one caveat with this. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. So four ways to confirm that you're going to get a good buy or protect yourself at least with the purchase for the long run. Um, do you want to rip over the fourth? Yeah. So what we're going to talk about here is the four ways to protect yourself in a risky buying market. One. Uh, location. Two. Substitution. Three. Replacement soft cost. And four fundamentals. So looking at these four things is how you can protect yourself and make sure you get a good buy. So Neil, talk about location. I mean, it's the obvious one. Yeah. Everyone knows what location means. And it's kind of like the old, that old saying, it's like, well, it's not even saying it's location, location, location. Like everyone says that. And you know, it's funny when I started, my mom was always on me, location, location, location. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was kind of goofy because I was like, no, 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 no. Like I can go Mm -hmm. and like, if the returns are good, the returns are good. But this, like you see it when the market crunches, this is like, that's why it's on here. Because when things start to contract, the locations really matter. Like they if contract you're to the core, they contract to the core. Exactly. So everything on those outskirts and stuff like that is going to take a little bit of a hit, right? Cause if even the core is going to take a little bit of a hit, but when it takes a small hit, everything takes a much bigger, larger hit. And so that can mean for rentals, that can mean vacancy issues. That can mean rent price issues. Um, but even for home values, like why would someone go an extra 20 minutes to buy a house for 500 K if mm-hmm. there's an opportunity closer to the core? Yeah. So you start seeing that and people get more, Basically, I guess, uh, what's the word? People are more cognizant of it, and they, they pay They're attention. They're more selective. They're more so selective, because they can be. Yeah, if you have to go resell that product. Because when you think about this, the idea of protecting yourself to make a good buy is thinking about resale. That if you need to turn and burn that property exactly. in a hurry, you know, what things do you wish you would have considered when you bought? The first thing is location. So location means, potential too. yes, core, tried and tested, things that have historically done well. And a lot of the underlying reasons for that is amenities, yeah. uh, access to healthcare, access to transit, uh, access to, you know, things that people will want in any market up, down, sideways, that'll protect you by location. The other thing to think about location is when you look around your property and start thinking, well, gosh, you know, am I surrounded by future development space that, yeah. you know, down the road could be 
um, competition. You know, if I'm surrounded by a giant field that's one day going to be a road, I know that when I go to sell, there might be brand new homes there, which could have a benefit in a good market because those homes are going to be very expensive. But in a down market, you're competing uh, as older stock with brand new stock. So that's why number two on our list of how to protect yourself in a challenging or risky market is... Yeah, consider the substitution effect. What does that mean? So just as it sounds, so if your house can be substituted, just like like Chandler was explaining... If your house is on one side of the street and it's now five years old and the brand new one right across the street, same square footage, same amount of bathrooms, all that comes on, you're now competing with that product and you're going to be discounted because you're mm-hmm. resale, you're old, you're used. And so your house, at the end of the day, house depreciate, right? So if you can be easily substituted, that removes a level of protection from the property. So it's good to find things that might be a little bit more unique or you're already in established core areas. Yeah. So you're not going to have new products showing up that's going to be like, why would I buy his house for 500 when I can buy a brand new one for 550 Or if you look up and down the street and see that every home is kind of the same vintage yep. uh, and the same layout, well, if you have to sell and you sell at the same time, you know, in a downturn market, when your neighbor, what if their stress is bigger than your stress and they need to, to really cut from that property mm-hmm. and they're incentivized because of their own personal condition to take a $30,000 lower price than you are, mm-hmm. right? If you have the same product, that's gonna. That's gonna. That's a tough one with condos. Be a challenge. Yeah, condos are. are always that's where location is so prime with condos because. Yep. That's the thing that can't be substituted with the condo is your location. Yes, location is the one thing you cannot change. So substitution and location are tied uh, quite a bit together. Now we talked a little bit about new construction and how that impacts things, and that's why looking at the replacement cost of the home that you're purchasing matters too. This is something I think is so important. So I mean, to break it down first, replacement cost is obviously. A, Basically, the cost to rebuild or replace your home, including, we'll say, including the land. In today's market. In yep. today's market. And now, I find, like, in Halifax, we don't see it as much because everyone's like, well, I bought my house for 500 and you physically couldn't build this house. I'm insured for way more than what it would cost to build, which is a kind of a protection. Like, you know that a builder, even if there's lots all around you, they know that they can't just show up and build the exactly. house and undercut you. So yep. you, you have a level of, of protection there. But, man, in big cities where these home price averages are $2 bucks, like, you can build a lot of houses for two million bucks, and I can tell you right now, most of those houses are not two million dollar homes. Mm-hmm. And just being out there two weeks ago, like I saw a house for a million and a half bucks that you could probably build for like four hundred grand. So they're basically valuing that land at eight hundred thousand bucks. And yes, the lots on that street are going for a million dollars. So technically, they're in the green. But if the market shifts at all, which is what we're talking about now, and that land value plummets, which it will and can and does, like we're seeing, we've already seen fifteen percent drops in those neighborhoods then someone can buy that land, let's say at a huge discount and for 400 grand, and they can now build a brand new version of your home for another 400. They're into it for 800. Your house is not worth a million and a half as a resale. Yeah. And that matters a lot in some of these peripheral areas for all the reasons we just mentioned. And when people asked me about, even when the market was good and they were asking about some of these sale prices, I always said the ones that concerned me were when people were purchasing uh, a standardized home in some of these peripheral areas, for above what it would cost to even build that unit. Um, that, those were the ones that concerned me most. Um, but here's an example even it's when... Like a giant markup. Yeah, yeah. And here's an example of even in the core how, how you could be impacted by this. Say you've purchased a property um, and you've paid top dollar because it's a lovely home. Yeah. If the market softens and your neighbor next door has a big sprawling bungalow and they take a big enough discount of a price and a builder is able to come down, tear down that bungalow and put up two units mm-hmm. in between... Mm-hmm. At a at a build cost that's less what your home is, yep. like you can even be impacted there, regardless of your location, if you paid, you know, significantly more than what it would cost to build that home. Little aside, I think this is what's happening with like things like cars and boats and all those things where people are paying forty grand over sticker, 
but the replacement cost is the sticker price. Mm-hmm. And next year, all these ones are going to come back at sticker and you're going to end up taking yeah. a beating. <laughs> that's like a really quick way to see it. But that's the same thing that will happen with houses. If you're paying way over sticker, like, yeah, a builder needs to make money and there is a certain margin that needs to be made on these things. And there is a certain base level of value to that land. But if it's, if those things are way overly inflated, you are running the risk of someone doing exactly that. And as density laws continue to increase everywhere, especially in the core, like Chandler said, they can tear it down and build multiple units uh, that are could be single-family homes, like duplexes mm-hmm. or, or side-by-side townhomes, and they will really undercut your value. Yeah. So, again, a lot of these things are, are tied together. Location, substitution, replacement cost, because replacement is a type of substitution. And then the last one, it's just to look at the fundamentals, like the actual intangibles about the specific home that you're buying. You know, yeah, maybe every home on the street is very similar, but yours might have the best backyard. The corner lot. Right, big the giant. corner lot. Or, you know, you're all in the same neighborhood, but you're walking distance to the school and the playground's across the street. That's super valuable. People really value distance to school. Yeah, so these little, in a hot market, people are like, oh, this home is kind of the same as that one. Same cool. neighborhood. Buy it, right? Same yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, it's both the same house. Um, and increasingly they've been like, what the last one? So, all right, add 5% to that. Let's buy it. Yep. You know, in, in a market where you could be exposed to a little bit of risk, at least in the short term, um, looking at those intangibles, like number, everything, like it's going to be like numbers of bathrooms. I, that's one thing I see a lot where people are like, I'll just add, I'll add a, ba- a bathroom yeah. in the basement later on. And yeah. you're like, oh, it's a quirky layout, but it kind of works for us. Like we need a house. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. And no, that bathroom will never get added. Yeah. And no. that, <laughs> that layout will become an issue later on when you go, when you go to sell it. Yeah. Or it's missing an ensuite off, off of a master bedroom and you bought a big house. Like there's all these little things that intrinsically just make a house a good home. If like Chandler's saying, if you don't have those, those are the ones that are going to start taking a beating. Even just the, like the the way it sits on the street, like those things really yeah. start to matter. And the streets, like if you're on a main street, like a more arterial street versus like a side street, like those things all start to play into the, yeah. the pricing and then your future ability to sell when it's not a hot market. Yeah. Like I can tell you having been through down markets, there'd be times where there were three homes in a subdivision and the home that sold the difference, the deciding factor would be things like size of yard mm-hmm. or the fact that one was way in the back of the subdivision. You had to drive like an extra five minutes to get to it mm-hmm. as opposed to one that's closer to the, the, the start of the subdivision. Yep. Like these little things can make a difference in a softer market. 100%. So I don't feel we're necessarily in a soft market yet and we don't really know if there's going to be a substantial enough pullback to look at this. There's a softening market for sure. Yeah. We're still selling homes in two weeks and things are going over. So 100%. I'm not, but, and these, these are four things, regardless of the market being up or down, you should follow them. You, you this, is, this is not just for down markets. This is not just, this is like, do this now for sure. Like you really got to do exactly. this. Exactly. But you always should be doing this really. And this is again, where a realtor comes into play to help you make sure that you're making those right decisions. But well, this is why I think there could be a buying opportunity. And we talked about this off the hop is for the first time you have a little bit of choice. Yeah. Right. And if you have choice, then you can start going to a list like this and being a bit more selective. Yeah. Um, and the market's slowing down. Homes are sitting. There's more listings in a given neighborhood that you might be targeting. Yeah. So some of these buyers who are, are rightfully taking a beat, I would encourage them to look at, all right, is this in this uncertainty? Is there also an opportunity here? Because I do think there is. Yeah, there, there will definitely be some opportunities. I'm, I'm already starting to see them around. Just I think, I think a lot of people are hesitating, and so what happens is everyone thinks to me multi-offer. I'm certain. I'm starting to say to people like, let's go, let's go, go look at it, go check it oh, out, because you never in. know. Because there might not be multiple yeah. offers, and you might be able to get it for asking price, or they might just have a fixed number that you're comfortable doing. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. to get this deal, so it, it definitely it's a softened market, and things have changed. Follow these four steps. 
make sure you check, well, not four steps, but make sure you check these things. Location, substitution, replacement costs, and fundamentals. It'll help to protect you and your buy, regardless of where the market's going, but it is extremely important right now. Absolutely. So. Um, any last things, Neil, before we wrap up for today? No, nothing. I got to find out if this is 5 billion bananas or $5 billion that just got spent on the metaverse. Yeah, and I might take a look at that uh, affordability report and see. I mean, it's, it's tough news for Halifax, um, but I'd be curious to see how they break it down, and I'd, I'd be curious to see what else they have in there for employment numbers and all these things for young people as well. So, yeah. uh, again, if you've listened this far, really, really appreciate it. Make sure you press like, subscribe, share this with a friend, add some questions, some comments, all Shoot that good stuff. Like you have been. Yeah, it's been great. So thanks for listening. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits.